Hi there, it's great to be with you again. We're in a series called Wisdom for Life, and we're looking at the way in which the Bible teaches us how to live wisely. And one of the things we've done is to look at quite a lot of what I've called like micro-wisdom or wisdom for the day-to-day trenches of ordinary life through the book of Proverbs. But we're also, and what we're doing now, is looking in the book of Ecclesiastes at what I call macro-wisdom, wisdom around the really big picture questions of life. Right, life and death and meaning and time and eternity and suffering and reality and faith and all those sorts of questions. And today we're in one of the most mysterious and certainly I think the most intellectual book in the Bible, which is the book of Ecclesiastes. And more than any other book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes is written like a book of philosophy. Right, that's not something we do much of in the church. Most of our preaching is from letters or stories or gospels, but There is this book in the middle of the Bible called Ecclesiastes in which big philosophical questions are asked and answered. And if we're going to live wise lives, we do need ordinary practical wisdom, like in Proverbs. But we also need to understand how to think about the big, sweeping and sometimes quite mind-bending questions of life about meaning and time and death and eternity. And that's what we find in this book. So if you have a Bible, do you want to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12? And we're going to do that. We're going to look at some, if you like, biblical philosophy, if I can call it that today. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Now, in the first week of this series, we looked at the issues of life and death and how we try and construct meaning in the world in spite of the fact that our lives are a vapour and a shepherding of the wind. And then last week, we read what's probably the most famous section of the book, and we thought about time and eternity. And this week, we're going to consider order and chaos and the conversation between the two that goes on it's this is a deep and thoughtful book and so sometimes it's important for us to wrestle with deep and thoughtful questions and we're going to do that around the issues of order and chaos as they are born out in the world and in history and in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 so let's read together Ecclesiastes chapter 12 beginning at verse 1 remember also your creator in the days of your youth Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and all the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the young men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the streets are shut. When the sound of grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, and they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way, and the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets." Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vapor of vapors, says the preacher, all is vapor. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people wisdom. Weighing and studying, and arranging many proverbs with care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, 
and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of God. One way of describing the history of human philosophy is to see it as a continual struggle or wrestling or conversation between order and chaos. Right? You take heads is order, tails, chaos, and you find that human history is just going round and round and round like that between eras of order and eras of chaos and the challenges between the two. And you find that in ancient Greek philosophers and you find it in scripture and you find it throughout human history. If you think about the history even of Europe, in the continent where we are now, you have the Roman Empire imposing order on a disordered world and they build straight roads and they have a good legal system or legal code which everyone knows and they build aqueducts to get water from here to there and their legions march in neat lines and they speak Latin and they impose order by force on a chaotic world. But then Rome collapses and you swing from order into chaos. And Europe descends into a a period where there's all sorts of upheavals. The barbarian tribes sweep in from Asia. The Goths, the Vandals, the Anglo-Saxons, the Vikings. Islam sweeps across North Africa and Spain. You get mongrel languages emerging like English, like the language we're speaking now. It's like a combination of about eight or nine different languages. And you think, what on earth is this weird language where that's a word and also that's a word? It's a sort of fusion cocktail of chaos and blend But eventually, the medieval church becomes powerful enough to bring order back. And you get a bit more imposition of structure. You get canon law. You get one system of law, effectively, spreading across a continent. You get a parish system. You get the Pope is in charge. You get Christendom. You get cathedrals. Very, very ordered, beautiful buildings. You get universities, ordering and structuring knowledge. Universe. One knowledge. One song, if you like. You get theology, even. is very ordered and structured. And you get Latin comes back. You get, again, a common language for the, for the continent. But then after order, you get chaos again. And you get the world of what we often call the Renaissance or the Protestant Reformation, where Christendom, the one unity of Europe, gets, starts getting broken and gradually disintegrates into a thousand pieces. You get the rise of perspective in art, where things look very different depending on where you are. And you get nation states beginning to arise and then they start fighting wars and they start arguing about theology and religion and protestantism catholicism and they start killing each other and you get again the rise of local languages and instead of one bible in latin you get thousands of bibles in lots of different languages but then it swings back again and you get order begins to be imposed in the age of what we often call the enlightenment you get an imposition of the scientific method and what we now call yeah, the Enlightenment, the division of the world. You have, we're Europe, and then there's the rest. There's advanced nations and savage nations, right? There's uh, nations like ours and, and empires over there. There's us and there's them. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that's what happens historically. You get this sort of ebb and flow. People start drawing lines on maps. They start making dictionaries. 
and encyclopedias. They start making theological systems and financial systems and constitutions and classical buildings and global trade routes. And they start saying things like, truths are self-evident. And people over here in another country go, that's not evident to us. It doesn't matter. It's self-evident to all intelligent people. And they bring order, rightly or wrongly. But in our generation, in the last 200 years, really, it's swung back again to an era that prefers, I suppose you might say, or a coin flip that's gone back a little bit more to chaos and blend. You have romanticism in music and literature. You get art starts pushing the boundaries and saying, I don't know why we have to draw actual things and actual people. Can't we just draw ideas and concepts and dreams? The First and Second World Wars blow Europe to pieces. And people say, actually, maybe Europe wasn't quite so smart about everything as we thought. Postmodern philosophy appears. I mean, you go to university now, some of us, this is the world in which we're being educated. Universities today aren't really universities at all. One form of knowledge and multiversities. Lots of different disciplines. And a lot of people in that faculty don't even understand what people in that faculty are saying. Knowledge is fragmented. And the only unifying story is there is no unifying story. I said we were going to do a bit of philosophy, but this is a kind of very, very rough summary, I think, of a lot of what's happened in the last 2,000 years. British culture today generally leans with a preference towards chaos rather than order in, that, in the way I'm talking about it. A blend, a fusion, a cocktail rather than an overarching system. In fact, we often find overarching systems we don't like them at all. They, they seem fussy or they seem out of date or they seem old hat. We don't like them. So it probably affects you as well. If, if you wanted to go and look at something that was beautiful and grand and awe-inspiring, would you go to Versailles with its incredibly manicured, order, ordered gardens, or would you want to go to the Alps where it's all wild and untamed and breaking out? you probably choose the Alps, even though a couple of hundred years ago, 300 years ago, Europeans would have gone to Versailles and they wouldn't have wanted to go. In fact, the Alps were not regarded as beautiful. Um, because people, we, people used to prefer order, but now I think we're a bit more about the wild and the untamed. Does the art in your office look more like this, or does it look more like this? Now, I, I haven't been to your office, but my guess is it looks like the bottom one. I know we're not working in offices at the moment, but when you did, you remember, right? Because, again, we like the idea of, we don't like the idea that art should be expressing a, a reality. In fact, it should just be a way of expressing ideas and a cocktail of different images. Our ancestors often preferred music or food even to be of a particular type. And some people still do, but most of us now prefer fusion food and rock operas and genre-busting albums that cross over musical styles. And to take the example of one of the great movies that's just come out over the summer, a hip-hop musical set in 18th century clothing in North America. Right? Even our houses, we used to have separate rooms for eating and sitting and entertaining people and cooking. Most of our homes now are going more and more open plan. When you, if people have the money to do it, that's what happens. Even our work days, we used to have time, for and time and space for work, rest, play. Now it all blurs into one. We check our emails in bed. We book holidays at work. Even in religion, actually, our culture is sceptical of big, ordered systems, and it prefers a chaotic pick and mix. That's what New Age largely is. You go to the mind, body, spirit section of a bookshop, Waterstones or something, and you'll find most of the books there are advocating some kind of pick and mix. 
There's this nice Celtic Christian idea, mingled with a little bit of Buddhism, mingled with a little bit of secular science, mingled with a bit of ah, 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 and the whole thing becomes a pastiche. And that affects the world we live in in a dramatic way. So my question is, with all of that done, how do we respond as Christians to that kind of world? Do we represent God's order in a world of chaos? Do we represent a revolutionary upsurge against human order? Or what is it? Well, it's kind of complicated, I think. The early church was a disruptor. Right? The book of Acts is the story of a group of people who were challenging the order of the ancient world. Because in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, you had gods, emperors, powers, masters, men, women, children, slaves. And then Christianity came in and said, oh no, because we serve a God who became a slave. And it blew the whole thing to pieces. And people said, this is outrageous. You can't possibly say this. You are disrupting our order. These people, they said of the church, these people have turned the world upside down and now they're coming here. And they used to, get, they used to regard Christians as atheists. You are destroying the world. Now today, the church is in a slightly different position because the church would be seen, because of history, as representing order and the system, right? We have bishops in the House of Lords. There is a cross on our national flag. And so we're likely to be seen, the Queen makes a, preaches the gospel on Christmas Day to millions and millions of people. So people see Christianity as part of the order, part of the system. But even so, you'll find some people will kick against the church as a, a system of oppression and others who will say, I actually quite like the idea that somebody is speaking clearly into this chaotic, confusing world I live in. Well, there is wisdom for us in navigating this complicated world in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 combines both the order and the chaos, the order of God and his word and the chaos rightly understood of the world as it currently is. On one hand, the first half of the chapter is one of the most beautiful and rhetorically powerful statements anywhere in Scripture of the chaos of this world, the disorder of the world. Verse 2, the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Verse 6, the silver cord is snapped. The golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain. The wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth and the spirit returns to God who gave it. In this world, Ecclesiastes says, as we've seen, everything turns to dust. And part of our calling as believers is to remind the world that despite our order and our technology, we can't escape the chaos of death. Vapour of vapours. Everything's vapour, says the preacher. Verse 8. So when human beings found new world orders and say, this is it, guys, this is the new idea. We're going to organise the whole world like this. doesn't matter what the idea is. Communism, Islam, free market capitalism, welfare socialism, the wealth, uh, empire, whatever system it might be, part of the task of the church is to expose those systems for what they are. Vapour, shepherd in the wind. There might be some good in it and there might be some bad in it, but as an organising system for the world, it doesn't bring the meaning you're looking for. And we looked at that in the first week of this series. We are, in the words of one recent book written on this subject, destroyers of the gods. That's what the church is and has always been called to be. We speak to the powers that be and say, that is not God. And we expose those things in that sense for what they are. 
So in a way, the church witnesses to the chaos of the world. But on the other hand, we don't do that by trashing the order of the world and then leaving it in pieces. We do it by witnessing to God's order in the middle of the chaos and his life in the middle of a world of death. And that's what Ecclesiastes is doing, and particularly at the end of the book. We challenge human order not by railing against the old one. This is where a lot of Christians get it wrong. The world is wrong here, 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 and here. And the way Ecclesiastes approaches this, the way Jesus approaches this, is not to rail against the old, but to plant a new in the middle of the old and watch it grow. And that means that we bring chaos and order at the same time, depending on the surroundings we're in. Now, let me illustrate this. Think about an acorn, right? These tiny little things here. They, these will be obviously much bigger in a few months' time, but this is the way they look right now, as of August. And these tiny little acorns, you imagine planting an acorn and putting it in the earth under a street outside your house or your flat, outside, you know, under the tarmac, right? If you do that, and as it grows, it will gradually bring chaos, won't it? Because the life of the acorn will disrupt the ordered, man-made environment. And I've actually, I've actually had this. We had to get the council around because we have a driveway. And we, the car just kept, because there was a tree next to our driveway, the tree was, the root system was gradually expanding and bursting the tarmac. We had to get the council around to iron it all out and sort out the tree because we couldn't get the car out. And that, what happens, of course, is you put an acorn under a street, under a man-made environment, and you'll find it gradually breaks the ordered environment of mankind and turns it into chaos. But if you take the same acorn and you plant it in a thicket of brambles and nettles, what happens? Well, the acorn will gradually grow. It'll, in fact, do the same thing, just get a little bit larger and a little bit larger over years. But instead of it bringing chaos to everything, it'll actually bring order to the environment. Because the jumble of brambles and nettles will be replaced gradually by a giant tree of stature and presence and stability that the birds of the air will come and nest in its branches. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom's like. That's exactly what the kingdom of God does. It breaks through the powers and the structures of this world and it turns them upside down. But in doing so, it creates a magnificent new order of the kingdom life instead. And the church, the kingdom of God, functions like that. Now we, as men and women, as believers, as the church of Christ, representing the kingdom, we are planted in a world, and that as we grow within the world, it causes great disruption to some very ordered systems, but it also brings great order to some very chaotic ones. And our responsibility is to witness to that kingdom. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the preacher reminds us how we do it. Right, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 tells us there are really two, the second half of the chapter says there are really two ways in which you and I witness to God's order in a world of chaos. Number one, we speak God's words. Verse 10, the preacher sought words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed to the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd, my son. Beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. Right, the world is vapour, but the words of the wise are like nails, firmly fixed. So you speak the unbreakable, infallible, unchanging words of God, and they serve as nails and fixed points in a world of shadows. Speak words of delight, 
Speak words that are true, even if they're unpopular. Human beings are all made in the image of God. Or you will die. Or demons are real. Or biological sex is real. Or all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or Jesus is Lord. Or God heals. Or the kingdom is coming. Or where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Speak words of truth. It's one of the ways in which we witness to God's order in a world of chaos. And the other one is not only do we speak God's words, but we keep God's words. Verse 13. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God's going to bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's not enough just to say, oh, we speak the truth. We declare the right things. We say all the right things. No, no. Fear God and keep his commandments. Jesus, of course, says the same thing, doesn't he? If you love me, you'll keep my commands. In a world of vapour, God's words are an oak tree of life that replaces human order and chaos alike. Right? We grow up in it, witnessing to God's order and God's new way of doing things that challenges all the ordered systems of the world and all the chaotic ones at the same time. And we do that, we witness to it, not just by saying this is a good way to think, but by showing this is a good way to live. Right? We do it not just with what we say, but with the way we live. We keep his words as well as speaking his words. And Solomon says, beware of anything beyond that. Right? That's what you've got to do. You want to witness to the order of God in the midst of this chaotic world? We need to beware of anything beyond the words of God. The world is full of books that you must read and rules that you must follow and things you must do if you want to lead a righteous life. And Solomon is saying, and Jesus is saying, and Paul is saying, no, 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 you don't have to do that. No, you just need to focus on what God has said and revealed in his son. You need to speak his words. You need to follow his instructions. And the words of truth you'll find are words of delight. Speak them, keep them. They have been given to you and to me by one shepherd. Declare them and follow them to his glory. Amen? Let's pray. God of eternity, who spoke light into darkness and order into chaos, may our lives proclaim your truth, express your peace, and reflect your life. Fill us with your spirit that we might challenge the powers of this world and bring the order and beauty of your kingdom wherever we go. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.